Good afternoon, Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 965 KPEL. Glad to be with you guys this wonderful Wednesday afternoon. Uh, let's get uh, let's get right to it. Some local stuff first. Uh, obviously, the the most immediate thing is going to be this weather front that's coming through. You heard that in the uh, in the weather teaser just now. Uh, we're looking at a front coming through tonight. Now, there is the possibility of severe weather, but that's really to the north and to the west of us. Here in Lafayette and, and more toward the eastern part of Acadiana, not expected to see a whole lot of that. We're in a very low risk of that severe weather. But to the north and to the west of us right now, forecasts are showing the possibility now for uh, for heavy winds, hail, possibly a tornado, but... Uh, Stay tuned with your local news and weather outlets. Uh, keep abreast of all that. And, of course, if uh, if this cold front swings through and on Thursday night we're going to be seeing freezing weather like the forecasts have shown over the past couple of days, naturally we'll keep you guys apprised of school closures and anything like that as well. In statewide news, uh, today the advocate got a hold of a text that was sent out to John Schroeder's uh, supporters, John Schroeder, uh, Louisiana treasurer, announcing that he was going to be running for uh, governor in 2023. So our first official Republican in there. Uh, it's not a surprise to uh, to insiders who have been paying attention. He's been doing a lot of fundraising basically since last year. But now we have uh, a Republican in this race. Now, I've been mentioning over the last couple of days, the the important thing here is the, is the race to see who is going to be John Bell Edwards' successor on the Democratic side, because they don't have anybody right now. Up until... Uh, about a week ago, I would have said like your best case scenario for a Democrat who's got experience running statewide might be Gwen Collins Greenup, who ran against Kyle Ardwin the past two election cycles for Secretary of State. But I, you know, Gary Chambers is making a play for it now. Might talk a little bit about his ad uh, of him smoking marijuana uh, after a while. If we get to that in the show, a lot to talk about today. By the way, uh, but we will talk about we will we'll try to get that in try to talk about some of these issues. But there, there is a story on the national scene that I want to start with today. And it has nothing to do with what's going on in Congress, nothing to do with the Biden administration. The national story today has to deal with the Supreme Court. Yesterday, in a story that I was very skeptical of when it came out, I'm, I'm skeptical of a lot of these stories that are based solely on anonymous sources. Nina Totenberg of NPR, reported that uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, uh, before hearings last week, told the other justices that due to uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor's health, uh, she has uh, she has diabetes and, and her health can be very severe at times. Her health issues can be severe at times. Uh, because of her health issues, everybody needed to wear a mask in chambers. In, in 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 the in the Senate hearing room, I mean the, the Supreme Court hearings, and Neil Gorsuch, Justice Gorsuch, who sits next to Sotomayor, did not wear a mask, refused to follow that order. So Nina Totenberg of NPR writes this story. Anonymous sources telling her that this is what happened. Very very sketchy. Uh, this this is kind of goes against the kind of collegial uh, air that we often get from the Supreme Court. And I actually heard from some folks who kind of knew some people behind the scenes that this this didn't seem right or this was flat out wrong. So then uh, late yesterday, Fox News' Shannon Bream, who is a Supreme Court reporter, talked to her sources and, and said that a source counter uh, contradicts 
what Totenberg was reporting. And the usual suspects came out. Uh, CNN's Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter in their, in their uh, media reporting newsletter said it was Totenberg's several sources versus Bream's one source. And it was pitting Fox News versus, you know, Fox News viewers versus the rest of America or something like that. Well, then uh, today, close to midday, in a very rare moment, uh, Sotomayor and Gorsuch released a joint statement where they said this isn't true. And Sotomayor is saying, I, I never asked any colleagues to wear a mask for my sake. And the usual suspects chimed in and doubled down on Totenberg's story, protected Totenberg's story here. Two justices of the Supreme Court released an, a statement saying this story is wrong. And so what did Totenberg's defenders say? They said, well, this doesn't address the story. The story said John Roberts told the justices to wear a mask and Gorsuch didn't. You have two Supreme Court justices who are saying this is not the case. But because it didn't specifically address the key claim of the story, despite the fact that you have two justices of the Supreme Court going on record to say this, we're going to trust the anonymous sources and not the justices. Sonia Sotomayor is lying, is basically what they're saying. They're trying to protect her by saying that, oh, well, Gorsuch was trying to kill her because she wasn't wearing a mask and she has bad health. But they're calling her a liar because she's, you know, she's released a statement with Gorsuch. So they double and triple down and on and on all day, the left and the media all saying that this statement was wrong, that Totenberg's story is correct. And then what happens about a little over an hour ago? Chief Justice John Roberts releases a statement that says, I did not ask anybody to wear a mask. That should be it. That should be it for the story. And it's not. They're still pushing this story. They are still pushing the story. They are still pushing this theory that Gorsuch... Uh, flat out ignored an order from the chief justice of the Supreme Court to wear a mask. They are saying this. They are so adamant that Gorsuch is a villain here because they lost. They believe that Gorsuch sits in a stolen seat. Remember, Gorsuch took the spot that was open at the end of the Obama administration. Obama put forward Merrick Garland. And Mitch McConnell said no, and they did not even bring the nomination up, and it infuriated Democrats. But Donald Trump won the election in 2016, and the Republicans put forward Neil Gorsuch, and Neil Gorsuch got on the Supreme Court. Ironically, it was the Republicans following uh, Harry Reid's example by carving out the filibuster for judicial nominees that allowed them to get Gorsuch on the bench. But Gorsuch sits there and it infuriates Democrats and infuriates the progressives. He sits in a stolen seat. That's all they want to say. Gorsuch did nothing wrong. Gorsuch has done nothing wrong. He has done nothing but his job. And they will find every reason they can to attack him. The media has lost its mind. And I want to talk about, when we come back from the break, more on the media losing its mind. If you want to take part in the conversation, 232-1542. You can also follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham and on Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. We're going to take a break, and we will be back in just a moment.
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPEL. Glad you're with us. If you miss any part of the show and want to go back and listen, you can check us out in podcast form on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. We'll be having all those offerings available. You can also find them uh, on my Substack, kitchenpundit.substack.com. You can go in, uh, listen to any of the older episodes, uh, and really want to make sure that if you do go and listen to the podcast, you do rate and review it as well. Uh, because that helps promote the show, and we we want the show to be successful. We want to get as many eyes on it as possible because we're giving out good information here. So, going back to the last segment, the the media cannot let this uh, Gorsuch story go. They cannot let this story about Gorsuch not wearing a mask despite being told by... Uh, Chief Justice Roberts, to wear one because of Sonia Sotomayor's health. They cannot let this story go, even though Nina Totenberg's sources are all anonymous versus the three Supreme Court justices who were on record. Now, this is what's important here. Justices don't do that. Justices don't release statements on these types of stories. They don't get involved in news stories about themselves. But it became such a distraction that they had to uh, they had to break their silence and give a statement on this. This is extremely rare. You have three justices of the Supreme Court who are denying Nina Totenberg's story. But the media won't accept it. It's clearly the justices who are wrong here. And they're just protecting each other or protecting themselves or, or whatever the case may be. The media cannot accept that they are wrong. They have bought too much into their own hype. The, the media exists in a bubble. Well, I, I say that. I, I've actually come to the conclusion the media and, and, and these, these, these folks who were on the East Coast or in Washington, D.C. or on the West Coast and these major metropolitan enclaves are, are not so much in a bubble as they are in an, a lead-lined bunker. And they cannot see outside of that. All they can do is breathe their own air and hear their own words and thoughts. And so they are convinced that they are the arbiters of truth. They are the ones holding truth to power. They are the ones keeping the powerful accountable. And the media refuses to accept that they are wrong. And so they're doubling down and tripling down on the justices themselves on this story. You knew they would go and attack Shannon Bream. She works for Fox News. She is the enemy. But they are actually trying to discredit the justices of the Supreme Court themselves because they cannot bear the thought that one of their own was wrong. And Totenberg is respected by the press. She's a longtime uh, National Public Radio reporter. She has sources. She's worked the SCOTUS beat for a while. She's also a, a lefty. She also leans to the left. She's using only anonymous sources. The media has been using anonymous sources so much, especially in the, in the Trump era and beyond. They use anonymous sources because that's the only people who will talk to them. But you cannot verify if those anonymous sources are actually telling you the truth because there's no accountability when they're anonymous. And these sources are giving them this information. If the sources exist, I'm not saying Totenberg did this, but... 
they can just make up a source. They can take their own preconceived notion and say anonymous sources are saying or people are saying or whatever. And they're really just referring to a couple of, at best, uh, anonymous users on social media. At worst, they're just making things up, trying to get this information out there, trying to spin this narrative. Neil Gorsuch didn't wear a mask during these hearings. Sonia Sotomayor is well known to have diabetes and health issues. He must be, uh, he must be trying to get her sick. That's what's going on in their heads because they perceive him to be the bad guy. Why? Because he sits in a stolen seat. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why they are so devoted to this idea that they cannot be wrong, other than their egos won't allow it. They were so triggered. They're, 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 they, they have some sort of post-Trump PTSD. Trump spent a long time attacking them. Now, granted, Trump attacked when he was attacked. But they spent all this time attacking Trump, and he attacked them back, and he undermined their credibility, and they embarrassed themselves in some of the attacks. They've had to retract full stories. They've gone in, and they have changed stories. They've gone and made stealth edits on their websites for stories that were published. The Washington Post edited a ton of stuff out of its Steele dossier stories without really giving you know, much of an explanation for the edits. Leaving a, an editor's note in there, but never making it public, really. Other people had to go and find it. They won a Pulitzer Prize for their Steele dossier coverage, and most of it we now know was BS. They do not want to be seen as wrong because it undermines this narrative that they've built about themselves. And this is about them. Journalism is supposed to be not, it's supposed to be, you don't, you're not the story, you're reporting on the story. But so much in the last several years, journalists have made themselves part of the story. Jim Acosta rose to fame on CNN by making himself and his battles with Donald Trump the story. Nina Totenberg is making herself the story by doubling down on her anonymous sources and saying it's her credibility versus the justices of the Supreme Court. Chris Cuomo made himself part of the story by bringing his brother onto the air at CNN routinely at the height of the COVID crisis in New York, giving him cover, having these fun little brother-brother segments while he was also advising his brother on how to navigate sexual harassment and assault allegations and actually using his sources to try to figure out who some of the anonymous uh, claimants against, Cuomo, uh, against his brother were. And he became such a large part of the story, CNN had to fire him. These media figures, become they, they want to be part of the story. They've been reporting behind the scenes long enough. Now they want to be out there. They want to be recognized for their work. And their work sucks. Their work is appalling. I went to a journalism school. I went to Northwestern State University. I graduated the journalism program there. I remember Journalism 101. You report the news. You aren't the news. You're supposed to be objective. You don't let your own personal feelings get in the way. You report the facts. You don't insert your opinion unless you're an opinion person. Unless you're an opinion writer, a columnist, a radio host, whatever. If your whole point is to give commentary, then yes, you can let your personal feelings get in there. But you do it in a responsible, well-researched way. The attacks on Neil Gorsuch are straight up character assassination. Stephanie Grace at the Times-Picayune 
the editorial director and opinion columnist over there, tweeted out yesterday after the original Gorsuch story broke, called him a horrible person, called Gorsuch a horrible person. It's straight-up character assassination. At no point did he try to go out and get Sonia Sotomayor sick. I think I've pronounced her name like three different ways. I'm sorry. Sotomayor. 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 Anyway, he did not purposefully try to go out and get her sick, nor did Chief Justice Roberts apparently say, everybody wear your mask, and he refused. It didn't happen. Three justices are now on the record, but the media is out there doubling and tripling down on it. And they will not be held accountable for it, folks. And this is why nobody trusts the media. I'm in the media, but I'm not of the media. I can sit here and watch them and look at them and day in and day out watch what they're doing and be horrified at it as somebody who trained in the exact same career they trained in, most of them. They're not journalists, they're activists. They are advocating for one side over another, time and time again. And at no point are they having any sort of moment of self-reflection saying, maybe we're the ones who are wrong here. No, instead, they're going to circle the wagons around Totenberg, around the anonymous sources, around her reporting. That's all they've got. They can only circle, they can only, you know, circle the wagons around themselves. 232-1542, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I do want to talk about the Biden administration because my column from this morning still holds true. For some reason, the Democrats are absolutely certain that they want to die on the hill of voting rights. So I do want to talk about that and more when we come back here on News Talk 965 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Three to four every day. Be sure that you tune in. And if you can't, catch us in podcast form. If you want to be part of the conversation, 232-1542. I, I want to jump gears real quick. I'm, I could talk about the media for hours upon hours. I would probably have to, you know, they, the offsides guys will have to kick me out of the studio, but I could go for hours and hours just on the medium. So this morning I, I wrote this column and I, I stand firmly behind this. Um, the Biden administration is really, really bad at politics. They are wasting yet another week on a voting bill that nobody wants. Now, the Democrats will, will trot out some polls that show, well, yes, so voters support this or voters support that. The voters may support the idea of something, but the voters are facing a whole lot of other things right now. Gas price hikes, inflation, empty store shelves. Across the country, every marker for a bad economy is there. Struggling job market. All of it's out there. Everybody's worried about their pocketbook right now. Nobody's worried about this so-called Voting Rights Act, which is really just a federal takeover of elections and doesn't actually solve the problems that they say are being caused by the voting bills in places like Georgia. Because here's the, here's the thing that nobody in the media or the Democratic Party wants to admit. 
Georgia didn't actually suppress anybody's vote. There is nothing in the new Georgia law that suppresses anyone's vote. There's nothing in the Georgia law that says you can't go vote. It may make some of the deadlines a little bit stricter, but it also increases early voting. It also allows poll workers to hand out water in long voting lines. That's one of the big complaints they had. Nothing about the voting bills that are out there actually suppress the vote. Now, the rhetoric was not great on the Republican side. Some of the rhetoric was just not good. The, the talking points really on the Republican side at times didn't match uh did, didn't match the, the reality either. But the bills themselves don't actually stop anyone from being able to vote. But they want to use these bills and the rhetoric around them to build the case for voting rights being under assault. And they need to do, they need this federal takeover of elections. Nobody in real America outside of those lead-lined bunkers that the media and the Democrats live in actually wants this bill. And nobody wants the, 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 the Democrats to take over elections. They don't want the government to federally take over their local elections. And they don't really care about anything other than what are you going to do to make this economy recover? Because the economy is in freefall still. Some things are getting better, but the economy is still not doing great. Inflation keeps on rising. It's not transitory, like the Biden administration was saying. This inflation is going to keep going. It's going to stick around for a while. Biden's approval rating has plummeted since the Afghanistan withdrawal. And there's been no floor to this plummet that, it ha- that the numbers haven't crashed through. Right now, his polling average, according to Real Clear Politics, is hovering around 42%. His approval is hovering around 42%. The lowest it reached was the Gallup, uh, not the Gallup, the... Uh, the Rasmussen poll. Uh, the Rasmussen poll uh, had him down as low as 35%. A Gallup poll recently had him at about 35 The rest are hovering in the uh, mid to low 40s. But here's, here's the bigger issue here. It's not just the approval numbers. It's the disapproval numbers. The disapproval is growing, and the gap between approval and disapproval in these numbers are, are growing. You can see there'd be a lot of undecideds, like maybe 50% disapproval and 45% approval and 5% undecided. But the gaps are growing and that undecided is shrinking. More people are starting to disapprove now than approve, and it's getting worse. The two most recent polls, Rasmussen Gallup, have disapproval over 35 points, up over 15 points. I think it's like uh, 16 points and 17 points respectively, but I might have those flipped. It's bad. There's a huge gap between approval and disapproval. Folks are not happy. They do not like where the Biden administration is going. Or frankly, they don't think the Biden administration is going anywhere. These two most recent polls were taken last week and into this week the same time that the Biden administration is focusing on the voting rights bills. Highly publicized speeches and public statements that every major media outlet has run, and even local media outlets have run clips of. 
millions of Americans who are being impacted by a shrinking job market, a supply ch- a market with full of supply chain issues, grocery store shortages, gas price hikes, inflation, all of these economic problems. At a time when everybody's worried about this, they have Joe Biden up on a stage calling them racist for not being on board with a voting rights bill, comparing them to Bull Connor. They're being preached at by Democrats and by an administration who does not notice the actual struggle Americans are going through right now. If you don't support it, you're a racist, you're a bull conner, you're a terrible person. Who actually in America wants to listen to their president and their president's administration call them that? Tell them that they are terrible people, call them racist because they don't support this bill. They're just so bad at politics right now, it defies belief, y'all. The rhetoric from the Biden administration, from the Democrats, is toxic. The priorities are out of touch. The loudest voices among the progressive left are pulling the party toward electoral extinction because they cannot possibly fathom that rational people in middle America have any priorities other than extreme environmentalism, a federal takeover of elections, pro-abortion to the point of birth, and government involvement in every facet of their lives. They can't, they, they can't wrap their heads around it. The elections bill that they're calling this voting rights bill is such a bizarre hill to fight on. Biden knew going in it was a losing issue. He was not going to have the votes. And it's not because of the Republicans. It's because of his own party. He doesn't have the, the votes for this bill, much less to get the filibuster removed so they could pass it. The opinions of Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, some of these others have changed. Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, her counterpart in Arizona, Mark Kelly, came out today and said he supported changing the rules of the filibuster to allow the voting rights bill to go through. You know why? Because Kirsten Cinema can stand in the way and take all the fire for it. And so he can make his Democratic base happy by saying, oh, he supports getting rid of the filibuster because he knows it's not going to happen. That's a much tougher statement to come out and make if you live in a purple state like Arizona and the threat of getting rid of the filibuster is real. Let's not pretend that this is somehow a top priority for Americans. They don't care. They're worried about all these economic issues. But the Democrats in Washington are more concerned with this because they know that they are doomed in November. None of the numbers look good for Democrats, and none of the numbers seem like something they can recover from in time. But they're so focused on these out-of-touch issues, maybe that's why Republican identification is surging over Democrat identification, like I mentioned yesterday. People don't want to identify with a party that's not focused on the most pressing needs of the nation, of the people, of the voters themselves. So we're entering our third week of this insane push by the Biden administration. And Chuck Schumer wants to force a vote on this. And it just makes the Democrats look more and more out of touch. It is mind-boggling that the Democratic Party has become so bad at politics on this issue. I'm going to go ahead and take an early break. When we come back, I want to talk, I want to shift gears. I want to talk a little policy wonk type stuff with drug prices, because not only are we seeing Prices on everything else going up. We're actually seeing prices going up 
on some of the most popular drugs in the country. And we need to talk about that and what the pharmaceutical companies are doing. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation, you can also check us out on social media, twitter.com, uh, Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. If you want to call and be part of the conversation, 232-1542. All right, I want to jump gears real quick, and it's something a little more kind of off to the side. But it is important, especially I know for a lot of you out there, especially in a time of a health crisis when we're worried about not just COVID-19, but comorbidities, things like that. Right now, the increases that we're seeing are, are, are across the board in several areas. Uh, a lot of prices are up. Inflation is causing prices to go up everywhere. Um, at the gas pump, grocery store, et cetera. It looks like uh, you're going to see gas, uh, not gas, uh, price hikes at your local pharmacy too. Um, you're you're seeing uh, Gilead Sciences, Pfizer, Purdue, all these drug makers uh, announcing they're raising prices on about 460 medications by an average of 5 to 6%. So you're going to see a, a, a price hike in a lot of popular um, medications. And they're, they're coming out and saying that this is, you know, R&D costs and, and along with the, you know, supply chain issues and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced on that. And the reason for that is you had a pharmaceutical company, uh, pharmaceutical company AbbVie, uh, a while back, raise the prices of Humira. Humira is a drug uh, that is used for arthritis, plaque psoriasis, uh, Crohn's, all, all sorts of things. And that saw a 7.4% price increase uh, when the overall economy was experiencing less than 2% inflation. Um, and we're we're seeing that in the past, Avi had raised the price of Humira alone about 470% since 2003. And they're, they're, that, those, those price hikes have actually been tied to, uh, the, or the, the CEO's bonus at, at Avi was tied to those uh, price hikes. It's looking like, and, and Big Pharma, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies out there, have really been fighting the government on cost control measures. And this was something that, that Trump and the Republicans have been pushing for for a while. And the Biden administration tried to roll some of what Trump did back. Uh, Chuck Grassley is one of the Republicans in the Senate who's been pushing this a lot, uh, drug cost uh, drug cost control and things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm very wary of the government getting involved in, in private businesses and, and how they're running their business. But... So, so many times we're, we're seeing that these pharmaceutical companies are really just kind of doing what they want. And, and there's even been accusations when it comes to things like EpiPens that, uh, that they, it, there's accusations that these companies are, are working together to inflate all these costs. With drug prices out there, set to add to Americans' inflation problems. Why isn't the Biden administration acting faster 
to start to bring some of these out-of-control costs in? Well, why are they trying to rein it in a bit? The, the Republicans have been pushing for this for a while. To their credit, the Republicans realize that these price hikes negatively impact the middle and lower class. The two classes Democrats say that they are constantly fighting for. But the Republicans are doing the lion's share of the work on this. Recently, this company I was talking about, AbbVie, announced that it would restrict discounts on, on drugs like Humira to rural hospitals and clinics um, that working class and, 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 and the working class folks oftentimes use. Um, like the pre-inflation price spikes, this really does look like it's about, about filling up the bank account at a time when the economy is so weak. They're trying to pad their numbers because they know if you know, with everything else going on, that their numbers could drop just like everybody else's. They're, and, and everybody needs medication. Everybody needs these medicines. So it's not like you can just raise the prices and people go and, and get something else. No, these are, are necessary items. The Biden administration has been very hesitant to act on these on, on these kinds of issues. And I've written about this at Red State a bit. You can go and find my stuff on uh, EpiPens and, 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 uh, and Big Pharma on redstate.com. You can find the stuff I've written there. And I've kind of hammered on this a bit before. I'm just very worried that in the midst of everything else economically that's going on, the middle and lower class are going to take another hit from, from price hikes for popular medications, and they don't have much of an alternative. So I hope that our Republicans are looking at this. I hope that the Biden administration is looking at it. I hope that something can be done because this is a hit that Americans just cannot afford to take. Uh, jumping ship again. Let's see. Uh, I'm going. So, as I've said before, I, I write down all these show notes, and of course, during the day, news stories pop up. I'm still just kind of floored by the whole Justice Gorsuch Sotomayor thing. Um. Oh wait, I'm sorry. I forgot to give you guys uh, the bad news. I regret to inform you that the at-home COVID tests that you can order and would take up to two weeks to get to your house might be delayed because U.S. Postal Service workers are also at home on quarantine from COVID-19. So we are in the middle of a surge. Actually, it looks like we might be trending toward the back end of this Omicron surge now. In the middle of the surge, the at-home tests that you couldn't find on store shelves because the government bought 500 million of them. Those at-home tests that you can now order online, it would take two, two weeks to deliver. You might not even get them in time because the Postal Service is suffering from a worker shortage just like everybody else. I understand. and I know there's, there's one person who's probably listening to me because they, they said this to me yesterday. Um, that government incompetence is not news. But this is a public health crisis still. We're still officially in a, in a public health crisis with COVID-19. We're still seeing a bunch of problems due to COVID-19. And the government's solution isn't working. The government's solution to uh, COVID-19 is to buy up all the tests and then you order them online and they ship them to you and it would take two weeks. 
Again, not sure why they didn't contract out like Amazon or somebody who can, you know, Amazon Prime can get you at-home tests in like three to five days max. Why didn't they contract out with Amazon? Not sure. But the government's response to COVID is still lacking. I will say it is good news right now. Um, we're looking looking at the data. There's um, there's a guy I follow on Twitter, Jeff Asher, who 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 has been putting out a lot of information on and, and looks at a lot of the data on COVID and everything. And you're you're actually seeing right now. It looks like the Omicron hospitalization surge is plateauing much earlier than previous. Uh, previous variants and strains would have plateaued. So again, the data is showing that Omicron is not it's not as uh, dangerous, especially for the vaccinated. But in general, it's not as severe an illness as previous strains and, and iterations of COVID-19. So it looks like all the problems that we're facing with COVID-19 are kind of slacking off and we might be on the back end of this surge. Thank you guys very much for listening. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check out the show in podcast form, Apple, Stitcher, uh, Amazon Music, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and check me out, kitchenpundit.substack.com and redstate.com. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow here on the Joe Cunningham Show.